Amen, church. Happy uh, Fourth of July weekend. Grateful to celebrate it with you this morning on the Lord's Day. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce to you. If you've heard it, we had our chapel, we had our spotlight, and then we had our prayer. As a tab trainer, he's the lead pastor of Grace Church East County. That should be no, uh, should be a familiar name to you, at least the church's name in our in our church. He helped tab start helped that church um, back in 2012. Um, where he was sent out of a church that he also helped start in 1998 in a suburb of Chicago, correct? Um, Tab is married to his wife, and they have four children. Um, we are grateful for them, and they are especially connected to our community. They live here, serve here in La Mesa, and their kids go to Helix High School, as many of ours do as well. So we're grateful for that. Um, I'll just say uh, I'm grateful for Tab as a friend. Uh, he is a friend. Uh, he's a dear brother whom I honestly don't get enough time with, I'm going to blame that on you, not me, um, but whom I benefit richly from every time I'm around. Um, Grace Church, as I said, is no stranger. We, we pray for them, um, and this morning we have the privilege of, I've had the privilege of preaching there a few times, um, and now we have the privilege of, of Tab leading us this morning. And uh, I didn't tell Tab this, but we are starting a new sermon series this morning, so no, no wait on you this morning, brother. It can all rise and fall on you, I guess, how it goes. Now, we, in the summer, it's a, it's a continued sermon series that we come back to. We call it Summer in the Psalms. We turn back for at least a month or two every summer. And we've just finished the book of Joel, which has been a blessing to us as a church. And we will pick up in Acts uh, after, in at least August. So we're grateful to do that this morning. But Joel, um, our brother Tab is going to lead us this morning uh, through the book of Psalm, the entire book of Psalm. No, Psalm 16 this morning. So come on up, brother. We're grateful for you. Thank you, friend. Thanks so much. Well, good morning. Good morning. My dear wife, Sung, is here with me, and one of my children, my daughter, Grace, is here. We're delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to it, particularly to thank you and encourage you. I was thinking about how can I, how can I encourage the Hill Church, or what I want to say. I think it would be summarized this way, that I think your, your influence exceeds your awareness, your gospel influence, your gospel ministry likely exceeds what you're aware of. I say that because I've come here many times during the week to pillar network meetings that I've benefited greatly from with other pastors from this area coming and benefiting from Jimmy and Sean and what you're doing here. I'm also aware, and my children are aware, of what you're doing at Helix High. My son plays for the volleyball team, and Coach Manny's been there, and I've seen you all reaching out with gift bags and then hosting the volleyball team for a banquet. Thank you so much. You're having an influence on me, on many others, and we're grateful for you. And we do. We pray for you as well. I'm thankful for our partnership in the gospel. I'm also thankful for Jimmy. I really do count him a personal friend. He is a, an interesting, I think, and unique combination of, of zeal and tenderness. If I were to sum up Jimmy with those adjectives, zeal for the Lord, a love for the Lord, a passion for Christ, and a, a tender heart, a love for people, and a humility about himself. And I really respect him for that and appreciate that about him and admire him. We 
appreciate him and Julie and commend them to you. Not that you need me to say that to you, but indulge me if you would. I'm thankful for them. Well, as Jimmy mentioned, if you wouldn't be wouldn't mind rather, please turn to Psalm 16 in a Bible or a Bible app. Psalm 16, I'm delighted to help you begin this series in the Psalms. This is, I think, perhaps my favorite psalm. And so I've entitled this sermon, God's Greater Than Sign. God's Greater Than Sign. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. May God bless his word to our hearts and minds today. Is there anything uncertain in your life right now? Anything uncertain about your present or your future? I'm not denying that God is absolutely in control, that he rules and reigns over every molecule in the universe, or that he knows the end from the beginning. But from our vantage point, from what you can know and, and see, is anything uncertain for you? I mean, inflation's at a 40-year high. Gas prices are through the roof. Possible recession ahead. Any uncertainties there for you? Maybe with your finances or your job. Or the savings that are getting eaten away. Or the rent that keeps going up. Or the, or the house you want to buy, you just don't know how you possibly could. Anything uncertain in your finances? From your vantage point? Maybe there's an uncertainty in your family that you're aware of. You're not sure how your child is doing, physically or maybe spiritually. Or what your adult child will do. Or maybe if they'll turn to the Lord or not. Or maybe you're here and you're a teenager, you're a single adult. 
You're trying to figure out college decisions or maybe career decisions, maybe relationship decisions. You're not sure where you fit in, perhaps, or what to do. And those are real uncertainties. Or it could be an uncertainty with your health. Why you don't feel well, what the right course of treatment should be, when or even if you'll feel better. Let me ask you again. From your vantage point, from what you can see and know, is there anything uncertain for you? Anything at all? I hope you're realizing there's a lot uncertain from our limited human vantage point. There's a lot uncertain from what we can see and know. And for each of those uncertainties, in Psalm 16, God can meet you. In Psalm 16, God wants to meet you right now. Psalm 16 is called a psalm of confidence. And for all of our uncertainties, isn't that what we need? Confidence? No, not not confidence in ourselves. Not confidence in what we can figure out and what we can try to control. But a Godward confidence. A confidence that God himself is greater than all your uncertainties. I think that's the takeaway this morning. To have a Godward confidence that he is greater than all your uncertainties. It's putting a big greater than sign. You know that kind of arrow thing? Putting a big greater than sign into the equation of your life. That God is greater than your current or future uncertainty or trial or difficulty. In Psalm 16, he wants to meet us with that kind of confidence. I think in three ways. Three three reasons for confidence that God is greater than all your uncertainties. Here's reason number one. Confidence in God's goodness. Confidence in God's goodness. The psalm begins with this prayer of, or for rather, protection. Verse 1, preserve me or guard me, O God, for in you, in you, I take refuge. Now, we don't know why David, the inspired writer, needs God to preserve or guard him. Some uncertainty, some uncertainty is clearly haunting him or plaguing him. But he says, in you, God, I take refuge. He has that confidence to find refuge in God. Why? Well, notice verse 2. I say to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, my master, my sovereign. Notice, I have no good apart from you. Did you catch how sweeping verse 2 is? I have no good apart from you, the living God. Any good I have in my life is flowing ultimately from you, the fountain of all goodness. Think about that. Anything good comes ultimately from Him. And then, with that in mind, He seems to get a little more specific in verse 3. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The saints, God's set-apart people, His holy ones. They are His excellent ones, the majestic ones in David's eyes. 
in whom is all his delight. Think, think about this. Right after saying, I have no good apart from you, he goes straight into, I love your people. I rejoice in your people. I think the implication is, God's people are one expression of his goodness to you. I think that's an implication. And don't we need that reminder? I'm going to make an assumption here. I'm going to assume that the Hill Church is like Grace Church in that sometimes people sin against each other. Am I, am I making a safe assumption? I don't mean to, I'm not putting anyone down, I promise. Sometimes we sin against each other, don't we? Sometimes there's conflict. We need this reminder the people you're joined with right here are an expression of God's goodness to you. And I think we see that connection to people as we continue. Verse 4, the sorrows. Now by contrast, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. In contrast to God's holy people, God's set-apart people in whom He delights, there's another path laid before us, one that David emphatically rejects, the path of running after other gods, the path of turning away from the living God to run after other things more than Him. Haven't you experienced that? I have. And the sorrows of doing so. So catch the flow here so far. I'm taking refuge in you, God. All goodness comes into my life from you, including his people. So I will not go that other pathway. Wouldn't one way to apply this? Wouldn't one way to apply this be? I'm going to press into God's people as an expression of his goodness to find refuge in him right here. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, he commented and he makes this connection. He says, we ought, catch this, we ought therefore highly to value and esteem the true and devoted servants of God and to regard nothing as of greater importance than to connect ourselves with their society. We ought to value and esteem the servants of God, the people of God, and to regard nothing as of greater importance than to connect ourselves with them. He's making that connection. At least one way to apply. I'm going to press into these people whom I love in light of your goodness to me. The past couple of years for us as a church have been, have been challenging with the polarized political environment in our country and pandemic challenges and just the high cost of living in San Diego. It's been a hard couple of years. And I found, myself, I found myself struggling with pastoral disappointment, I'd call it. Not in people, just in my situation. I'm almost 55 years old. I'm a middle-aged or maybe older man. I'm not sure. And things just weren't going as I expected or wanted. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize how much I was struggling. I didn't realize how much I was losing sight of God's goodness. I, I talk with my dear wife, of course, but what I didn't do, what I regret not doing, is sharing those 
things with the excellent ones with whom I'm joined with in the local church. I really didn't open up those things with my fellow elders and friends. Eventually I did. I wish I had taken refuge in the Lord by recognizing His goodness and remembering the excellent ones, the majestic ones around me to help me. How about you? How about you? In the midst of your own uncertainties, have you lost sight of God's goodness? That you have no good apart from Him? I'm not seeking to minimize what you're going through. I'm not. But are you remembering that His goodness includes His people right here? Are those around you right now, maybe those you're closest with at least, are those you are closest with aware of maybe how you're losing sight of God's goodness? Maybe today you might take one of them aside and bring them in and ask them to pray for you. We help each other, don't we? Put that, put that greater sign into your equation. You have no good apart from Him. He is greater than that trial, greater than that difficulty, including the goodness of His people. That's where the confidence begins. God's goodness. Then reason number two, confidence, I'd say, confidence in God's provision. Confidence in God's provision. He just said, I'm not going to run after other gods. And then he says in verse 5, verse 5, the Lord, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You, you hold my, my lot. And this language of God as your chosen portion, your chosen portion, it might have in view God's provision for Israel's priests. When Israel came into the promised land of Canaan, the priests, you recall, didn't get a portion of that land. They didn't get some acreage. Instead, the portion the priests were assigned, it says, is God Himself. David now says here, well, you know what? That's what it's like for us. Those in relationship with God, He is my portion. He is my cup. He is my lot, or holding my lot. He's saying, it's saying, you are my my food, my drink, God. You are my provision. You are my sustenance. My portion, my chosen portion. Reminds me of Luke chapter 11. A scene you may know with Mary and her sister, sister Martha. Where Martha is scurrying around because a band of hungry disciples just showed up at the door unannounced. She's trying to fix some snacks, get some food going. And then to her dismay, she sees her sister Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Him. Teenagers, can you relate to this? You see your siblings not doing the chores that you're doing? Doesn't Mary know all the work that's got to get done? Why does Mary just sit there and let me do all this stuff? So Martha asked Mary, Talk to her. Rebuke her for not helping me. And she gets to hear what she didn't expect. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has said, you are my chosen portion. 
Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. That's Psalm 16 in action, isn't it? Jesus himself, my chosen portion, my cup, my provision. And with that confidence, we can say verse 6. Look at verse 6. The lines. The boundary lines. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, lines, boundary lines, inheritance, that again echoes Israel entering the promised land of Canaan. But the imagery is here to say, Lord, where you draw the boundaries for me, I will be content. I will be satisfied. Because You are my chosen portion, the good portion, my cup, my provision. Then you can say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, even when life is hard or uncertain. You might know the name Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India in late 19th century, early 20th century. She was heavily involved in rescuing temple girls, basically children forced into prostitution, tragically. The last 15 years or so of her life, though, she was basically an invalid. She had gotten injured in a fall and spent years practically bedridden. She prayed for healing. Others prayed for healing. The healing didn't come. The lines just hadn't been drawn for her that way. Then after years like that, she wrote the following prayer in a private note. Quote, not relief from pain, not relief from the weariness that follows, not anything of that sort at all is my chief need. You, O Lord, my God, are my need. Do you hear her putting that greater sign in her equation? of God's provision of himself, her chosen portion. Not relief from pain, not relief from the weariness, not anything of that sort is my chief need. You, O Lord, are my need. It's the same for us when we say, not clarity for my future, not making that career decision or that college decision, not stability for my finances, not even health for my body is my chief need. And all those are good things. But my chief need is you, my chosen portion, my cup. Your provision of yourself for me. The past two years have been challenging for me also health-wise. And I didn't just come to vent on my challenges with you. But I've had digestive issues for a long time. In the past two years, they've been significantly worse. I say that because I want you to know I'm not trying to minimize the provision of health. That might be what you're feeling the need of right now. Or maybe it's with your finances, like I said. With the economy, with the inflation. It's just hard to buy groceries. Or fill up the car with gas look whatever the uncertainty is for you put that put that greater sign in place like amy carmichael did god's provision of himself is greater than 
You fill in the blank. And with that greater sign in place saying, you are my chosen portion. You are my cup. You hold my lot. With that in place, you and I will be like a, will be like a small child with their parents. Ever notice when a small child is with their parent, their mom or their dad? At least they know their mom or dad is near, they're close by. The child is not anxious. Their child is not concerned about where their next meal will come from. They are not worried about whether mom or dad knows their nutritional needs. The child does not fret over legitimate needs being met. Why? Simply because they know mom or dad are near. Their chief need is near. Friends, that's how we can be when we say, God, you are my portion, my cup. You draw the lines in my life. Feel that confidence, friends. God's provision, especially of himself. We've seen God's goodness in his people, especially. God's provision, particularly of himself. And then one more reason for confidence, one more reason. Confidence in God's deliverance. Confidence, I'd say, in God's deliverance. Now look at verse 7 with me. David is now moved to praise. He says, I bless or I praise the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And then notice what he does. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. I'm always fixing my eyes on Him. I am having His character, His person, His nature, filling my gaze, filling my view. I have set the Lord always before me. Notice, because He is at my right hand. You see that? I will not be shaken. At my right hand means someone who stands by my side. It's like someone in a courtroom to defend you. Or on a battlefield to assist you. But here it's the God of the universe defending you. Assisting you. That's why David says, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm facing this uncertainty from my vantage point. From what I can see. What I can know. But I'm not going to be shaken. And this is why you don't need to be shaken. And I don't need to be shaken. We're going to feel shaken by uncertainty. But when you do, set the Lord before you. It might be your morning devotional times, your your quiet times, or throughout the day, whatever it looks like for you. Make this your goal. Set the Lord before you, opening His Word to fix your gaze on Him, to see who He is, what He's like, and especially what He has already done for you. You see, In setting the Lord before him, David then turns his confidence to God's deliverance in verse 9, beginning in verse 9. He says, therefore, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, why secure? Why is he so confident? Verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see Corruption. Sheol is here basically the place of the dead. And David is in essence saying, death is not going to get the last word 
in my life. I have confidence that God's going to deliver me somehow. But recall with these Psalms, there is a divine author behind the human author. So it's not just poetry. It's not just a prayer for you. It's, a, it's a, an inspired prayer. There's a divine author behind the human author, a divine author who knew full well what was to come when he inspired these words. So fast forward centuries when David's greater son comes on the scene. Jesus, who lives a perfect life, then gives his life as a ransom a ransom, a payment for our sins on the cross, then rises from the grave, showing emphatically that His payment for sins was more than enough for all who believe. And then on a day called Pentecost, our ascended ascended Savior poured out His Spirit on His people. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter stands up and gives the inspired interpretation of Psalm 16. Peter quotes this part of Psalm 16, saying these words are ultimately about Jesus Christ. He says these words ultimately point to Jesus' deliverance and victory from the grave. That means we can be even more confident than David was. Now you and I face uncertainties. We know so little, we control so little. From our vantage point, a lot feels uncertain. But here's what's not uncertain. Your deliverance in Christ. Sin, death, hell have been fully dealt with by Him. Because He was raised for the believer. You can be certain that death will not be the doorway to judgment, but the doorway to life forever in Christ. That confidence... That confidence in Christ produces joy, even the kind of joy you find in verse 11. Look at verse 11. The psalm ends, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, I love this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now we're pointed forward to the ultimate promised land. Pleasures forevermore in God's immediate presence. No uncertainties, no pain, no trial, no difficulty. That's what's ahead. And this confidence produces joy. Fullness of joy then and real joy now, friends, because of Jesus. That deliverance, that deliverance is the bedrock for your life. That's the confidence upon which to build everything else. It's kind of like this. Years ago, when my sons were much younger, I took them to Boomers. I think the one in El Cajon, if you've ever been there. It's kind of a, kind of like a mini, I don't know, play area, right? I'm losing track of the word I'm looking for, but you've probably been to Boomers. So, There's a climbing wall. And my youngest son picked the easiest part of the wall to climb. My older son took the medium difficulty part of the wall to climb. That left me with the expert difficulty part of the wall to climb. Now, there's a problem. I don't prefer heights and I'm not a good climber. (laughs) This is not good. I get maybe 10 feet off the ground and I'm terrified. 
I can't, I can't keep my fingers on these little tiny expert grips. And I can't get my feet in the little tiny expert holds. So I'm 10 feet up and now, middle-aged man, I'm falling. I'm off the wall, I'm falling. And then I have this pleasant experience of being caught and held and gently lowered to the ground. Because the whole time I was wearing a harness attached to this belay machine, and as soon as I started falling, that harness and that machine caught me and held me and gently lowered me to the ground. That's what your del- deliverance in Christ will be like when you face your last trial, death. When you face that final difficulty, oh, it will be no trial at all, friends. No uncertainty then. Because you're wearing that resurrection harness in Jesus. In that final trial of death, you'll be caught and held and gently brought into life in Christ. Isn't God's deliverance in Jesus even greater than your uncertainties right now? But maybe you don't have this confidence quite yet for this deliverance. Maybe in all honesty you'd say, Tab, I I don't know that I know Jesus Christ like that. I'm just visiting today. I'm kind of growing up in this church and I haven't really believed on Christ like that. I want to just say to you, Jesus says to you and me right now, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, weighed down, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. That's his invitation to you. That's his command to us. Come to him. I'd urge you, if that's you, to turn to Christ this morning. Trust only in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, and he will. But for the rest of us, take your uncertainties. Take those things that are keeping you up at night or weighing on your heart throughout the day. Or maybe the uncertainty you've been thinking about during this sermon. And put God's greater sign into the equation for you. Remember that His goodness is greater. You have no good apart from Him, including His people. Remember that His provision is greater. Even His provision of Himself. He is your chosen portion and your cup. And remember, friends, His deliverance is greater, especially through His Son. So have confidence, a Godward confidence, that He is far greater than all your uncertainties and trials and difficulties. Let's pray together. Maybe you want to take a moment just to Engage with the Spirit of God for any way He's been speaking to you today. Through the songs or through this psalm. And respond to Him. Father, I pray for any perhaps who've yet to turn to Christ, they would do so even now.
I pray for others who came in maybe weighed down by fear, anxiety, struggling with the uncertainties of life, that you would meet us. Remind us that you are greater. Give us this Godward confidence through your inspired word and the work of your Son. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.